0: I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at IKAR in Los Angeles, and together we're going to study the weekly Torah portion of the Parsha and figure out why the Torah really is the best book ever. There's a story here. It's just another law in Deuteronomy's massive catalog of laws but something in the way it's written sounds like a fragment from some lost legend. Listen. If a man has two wives, one loved and the other hated, and both the loved and the hated have borne him sons, but the firstborn is the son of the hated one then when he wills his property to his sons, he may not treat as firstborn the son of the loved one, in disregard of the son of the hated one, who is older. Instead, he must accept the firstborn, the son of the hated one, and give him a double portion, since he is the first fruit of his vigor, ono, and the birthright is his due. Now, these are just the rules of inheritance being clarified. But somehow it just breaks the heart to hear them. A hated wife, in the shadow of a beloved one, a husband's unfair disregard, and the poor child who was innocently born into disfavor. It reads like a story. And of course, it is one. It's Reuben's story. The references are barely concealed. Jacob is the character we know who had multiple wives. Rachel was the one he loved, and Leah, his first wife, was the one that God saw was hated, the Torah says. Joseph, Rachel's firstborn, was the child that the Torah says Jacob loved above all his sons, because he was the child of Jacob's old age. And... If there were still any doubt, the most unusual phrase in the law above, the first fruit of his vigor, is exactly the one that Jacob uses to describe Reuben in his final blessing to him. Ruven Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the first fruit of my vigor. Kochi verishit oni. So why bring up Reuben's story now, centuries later? And why so subtly? Reuben has not been one of the most prominent figures in the Torah's narrative. We get only glimpses of him along the way while others are in the spotlight. But a careful reconstruction of these pieces of Reuben's life reveals his story to be one of the most tragic in the Bible. He is indeed the firstborn of Jacob's thirteen children. We might have expected him to be destined for glory, but even at the moment of his birth there are signs of, of pain. Leah conceived, it says, and bore a son, and named him Reuben, meaning see, a son. For she declared, Ki For the Lord has seen my affliction, and now my husband will love me. The next time we hear about Reuben, it's a strange scene indeed. He's still a boy, the family is still growing, and his mother Leah and Rachel, his aunt, are still competing for Jacob's affections. Reuben, with intentions somewhat unclear, ends up getting himself in the middle of this drama. Once, it says, at the time of the wheat harvest, Reuben came upon some mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said back to her, Was it not enough for you to take away my husband that you would also take my son's mandrakes? And Rachel replied, I promise he shall lie with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. The word for these mandrakes in Hebrew, dudaim, is related to love and suggests that they're some kind of aphrodisiac. In context, however, it Seems that they must be understood to increase fertility. That's what Rachel needs. Not love, after all, but a child. Whatever they are, the deal goes down between the two women, and when Jacob comes home from the field that day, Leah tells him that he is now obligated to sleep with her. And it's Reuben, somewhat Oedipally, who secured her that right. We'll get back to the Oedipal, but For now, let's push forward in Reuben's life. As we've already said, Joseph is shown particular favoritism by Jacob, and this drives his brothers wild with hatred. they decide to kill him and throw him into a pit. We remember this story as a team effort of all against one, but look how Reuben responds to their murderous plot. When Reuben heard of it, he tried to save him from them. He said, let us not take his life. Shed no blood, Altish Bahudam, cast him into that pit out there in the wilderness, but do not send him to his death. for Reuben, the Torah says, intended to save him from them, and return him to their father, Otomi Adam, La El Aviv. Reuben was, in other words, playing the role of the firstborn, and looking after the younger ones. He was the one brother who didn't want to kill Joseph from the start and the only one who ever intended to bring him back home. But his plan failed. As we know, Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. And this must have happened without Reuben present, because just afterwards we read, When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. He returned to his brothers and said, Nenu, The boy is gone. And now, what am I to do? Here we have the first sign that Reuben is cracking. He's failed in his capacity as the firstborn. He feels responsible for what's happened, but not so much that he's willing to confess. Likewise, he felt compelled to save Joseph, but not powerful enough to insist that the other brothers simply back off. He's a man torn between competing moral impulses, between bravery and cowardice. This inner conflict will continue and end up producing a man with instincts both noble and troubling. Years later, when Shimon has been captured by Joseph, who is calling for Benjamin to go down to Egypt, Jacob is understandably terrified of losing more children and refuses. Reuben, who must once again feel all the panic With the responsibility of the firstborn, this time for the brother closest to him in age, suddenly blurts out this disturbing offer. Reuben said to his father, you may kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put Benjamin in my care and I will return him to you. And Jacob, not surprisingly, declines. Because why would Jacob ever want to kill his own grandchildren? And what kind of father offers his own sons as a pledge? Certainly, someone willing to sacrifice his own children is not the person you trust your children to. Judah then steps up and offers himself as a pledge, and not his life, but his honor, and that Jacob accepts. And From then on, it's Judah who assumes the symbolic place of the firstborn. Reuben has failed, and he begins to fade into the background. The last we hear of him is in that moment of blessing we mentioned above. And yes, Jacob starts by calling him the first fruit of my vigor, exceeding in rank and exceeding in strength. Reuben must have grasped thirstily at those words, finally feeling his father's love. But then Jacob goes on. Pachaz kamaim al-totar. Unstable as water, you shall excel no longer. For when you mounted your father's bed, you disgraced yourself, Az-Chilalta. My couch, he mounted. Oh dear. And this isn't a blessing at all. It's more like a curse, and one filled with venom. Jacob is angry at Reuben, and most bizarre. It sounds like he thinks Reuben has committed some kind of sexual transgression. Is he really saying that Reuben slept with one of his wives, that is, Reuben's own mother or one of his aunts? But then, that's exactly what happened. That's the one fragment of Reuben's life I left out before. The most shocking one of all. While Jacob and his family are traveling back to the land of Canaan, Rachel dies and Jacob, also called Israel, travels on ahead to be alone. And then, out of nowhere, we read the following. While Israel stayed in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. The verse just breaks off there and moves on to another topic, as if the Torah doesn't even want to talk about it. Now, it's somewhat unfair of me to have left out this massive detail earlier. If you've come across it before, certainly you, you notice the glaring omission. But in a sense, that's just my point. Here we have one of the strangest, most perverse incidents in the whole Torah, A son sleeping with his father's wife, in the holy family that founds the twelve tribes of Israel, no less. And the narrative simply moves on. We forget about it. And we forget because it's Reuben, who himself is forgotten. Reuben, who lives in the shadows, whose sad life is only exposed in rare sightings, scattered about here and there. But Jacob didn't forget. How could he have? Nor did Jacob forgive. We know that because it's not only a final blessing that Reuben is denied. In the books of Chronicles, which recounts the lineages of all the biblical characters, this is what it says when they come to Reuben. He was the firstborn, but when he defiled his father's bed, The birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, son of Israel. So he is not reckoned as firstborn in the genealogy. Reuben lost the birthright, not just symbolically, but literally. His portion was taken and given to Joseph. The firstborn of the hated wife, who became hated himself, was passed over in favor of the firstborn of the beloved wife. In other words, what happened to Reuben is exactly what our law in Deuteronomy warned against. When he wills his property to his sons, he may not treat as firstborn the son of the loved one in disregard of the son of the hated one. The question is, was Reuben supposed to be an exception to the rule? Did he disgrace his father and himself so thoroughly that he deserved to have the birthright stripped from him? Lord knows his crime was appalling that's what the great rabbi of the Italian Renaissance, the Sforno, seems to think in his commentary on this law. He says the birthright must not be passed away from the son because of the hatred of this one or the love of that one. But if it is done because of the wickedness of the firstborn son, then it is appropriate to pass him over. And that seems to be what our father Jacob did, for it says when he defiled his father's bed his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, son of Israel. But there's another possible reading of this law, with all its hints back to the story of Reuben. Perhaps it's meant as a a subtle critique of Jacob, as if to say, no, you can't deny him the birthright, no matter what he did, because he was born into pain, born into hatred. He tried. You hated his mother, and so he tried to win your love for her. You loved Joseph best, so he tried to save him for you. And No one seemed to love him, so he tried to steal love for himself. He failed to be the firstborn he should have been, wanted to be, and then he failed further, in unspeakable ways, and slowly came unraveled. But he never really had a chance. You never wanted him as the first fruit of your vigor. You were always waiting for someone else. His name, Reuben, means see a son. But you never saw your son, never took notice of him, until it was too late, and then you took away the birthright that was his due and gave it to the one you really loved. That you should not have done, but it is done, and the only thing we can do now is to make sure it is never done again. Reuben, we see you there, between the lines. Your story has not been lost. Best Book Ever was produced by Ben Cooley and edited by Vera Blossom. And our theme song is Pete by Hillel Tigay. You can listen to more of his beautiful music on iTunes and Spotify. And while you're there, why not subscribe to Best Book Ever if you haven't already? If you're interested in supporting this podcast and our work, you can visit us at org and donate or Venmo us at ecarla. That's I-K-A-R-L-A. Thanks a lot and see you next week.